Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Welcome, Talking Circles. Clayton Colbert and John Harlow here with you talking all things NASCAR and Snowball Derby this week with Auto Week and Short Track Scenes' Matt Weaver, who joins the show now. Hello, Matt. Thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey. Uh, we're doing great. I know you're doing great. This is probably one of your most uh, exciting weekends. What does this weekend mean to you, Matt? I know there's uh, a bunch of races, Snowflake 100 on Saturday, the big show on Sunday. Racing all week, as a short track lover like you are, you report on it all, all year long. What does this weekend mean for you? Well, you know, this is actually my, my favorite race of the year. You know, I'm fortunate enough that through my job at Auto Week, I've gotten to cover the, the Daytona 500 for the past seven years, uh, the Indianapolis 500. I went to Italy for World Rally Championship this summer. And so I, I love what I do, and I get to cover the the best motorsport events in the entire world but to me the snowball derby is my number one event now some of that is geographic bias because i grew up down the road at mobile and that's about 40 45 minutes away from pensacola and uh but the other part of it is too it truly is uh the greatest spectacle in short track racing this is the the biggest event for template bodies super late model cars that draws the biggest names you have heard of and it creates some of the names you haven't heard of yet i mean in recent years obviously when you talk about the nascar stories of chase elliott and eric jones and even further back when you start looking at guys like landon castle stephen wallace those names were created here in pensacola uh and even further back you can look at the names that competed like the the daryl waltrips uh delvin hart senior made a start in this race. So really this is where uh, stock car racing's past, present, and future collide. And beyond the narrative, it's just a darn good race on Sunday. So uh, I know that's kind of a long-winded answer, but to me, when you put all of this together, it's just such a cool event. Forget the race, but a cool event. Hey, Matt, it's John Harlow. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, the This weekend down in Pensacola, to me, and I'm a diehard sprint car fan, this must be the late model drivers what Knoxville Nationals week's is, week is to um, dirt sprint car drivers. Now, one of the things you look at this week, I mean, you've got Kyle Busch coming in to run. You've got your regular big late model guys coming in. How much surprise is it that Jamie McMurray's crew chief, Matt McCall, is trying to run the Snowball Derby right off of his Thanksgiving Day win? Yeah, it's not a surprise to me that he wants to. It's just going to be kind of a challenge for him to be able to here in the next couple of years because uh, the kind of late models that he ran and won in last weekend are late model stock cars, which are basically NASCAR-style perimeter chassis cars where these are straight rail, super late models. But but to me, I, I guess it doesn't surprise me with anyone in, in racing or who has a resume in, in short track racing 
wants to run the Derby because anyone who grew up in stock car racing circles, this is a race that they either want to uh, to officiate, to race, to crew chief, to cover as a journalist, uh, to attend as a fan. So it, it's no surprise to me that Matt McCall wants to go, or even that Kyle Busch is back here, or or Johnny Sauter, or even guys like Daniel Hemrick and John Hunter Nemechek who couldn't make it this year, or Chase Elliott and, and Eric Jones who are hoping to come back next year. Uh, if you're a stock car racing person, this is where you go every December. It's just kind of a, a rite of passage. Uh, quick question here for me. You know, a lot of our fans on uh, listening to the show are NASCAR fans. That's kind of primarily what we talk about. This weekend, what do you think is going to be the biggest difference? You know, if I'm going to sit down and watch this race, what's the biggest difference as far as racing goes between uh, these late models and what we see on Sundays on a NASCAR, a Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series circuit? Well, I don't think the racing will be largely different than what you see um, at short tracks like Martinsville or Bristol. It's going to be that kind of close-quartered, side-by-side, beating-and-banging racing that that NASCAR fans are familiar with in national touring racing. Uh, But I think there are a couple of characters who run this race every year who are a little less disciplined, um, a little less politically correct, and drive a little bit harder. I mean, I I think the story last year that got a lot of national attention was the, the, the feud, the rivalry, between William Byron, our current Xfinity Series champion, and a, a regional racer by the name of Stephen Nassie. Um, William Byron kind of raced Stephen Nassie really hard in the closing stages of the races last year, and um, Nassie took exception to it when, when William washed up the track and, and spun him out. It cost him a chance to, to contend for the win because 30 laps to go, they're both in the top five, and now suddenly Nassie has a little bit of damage and he's fallen outside of the top 20. His race is done. So he turned the car backwards and just gunned right towards William Byron and wiped out both cars. And so that's the sort of thing you probably won't see in NASCAR ever again. Um, people put so many resources, so much time, um, and, and so much of their heart and soul into the Snowball Derby. So when you see a situation where someone feels like they've been wronged, like Nassie felt last year, um, they wear their hearts on their sleeves. And I think you're going to see that kind of raw emotion a lot more than you might in NASCAR land. And that's not to say that it's right or wrong, um, but I think this is kind of a throwback to what NASCAR racing used to be before, uh, for all intents and purposes, they became celebrity steering wheel holders with million-dollar sponsorships. These guys race for themselves, their teams, their pride, their honor. And it's not so much about uh, what the sponsors or, or TV partners say. Hey, Matt, um, you you go to the Derby every year. You see the young and up-and-comers who – are going to be the next in the K&N Pro Series who hopefully will make the jump to the truck and Xfinity and the Cup Series. How many of these guys are out there thinking they can make a name for themselves? Well, I think a lot of the the younger drivers, the the teenagers, um, the early 20-somethings, I think that's why they're here. I think they saw what Eric Jones did a couple of years ago when he out jeweled um, Kyle Busch. Uh, that story, I think, sometimes gets misconstrued because they they make it out like 
Derek Jones was a relative no one. He had actually tested a Cowboys late model uh, two months prior. So there was a relationship there. But they all know that the spotlight of winning the Snowball Derby carries with it a um, a heavy advantage. It's a resume-building race. You know, I brought up earlier um, Jones and Elliott and even Johanna Long, who unfortunately, despite all the talent in the world, was not able to make it to the highest levels of NASCAR. Uh, so I, I think these teenagers, like the Harrison Burtons, the, the Christian Eckes, um, a couple of years ago, John Aaron Nemechek, obviously, those guys are here because they believe they can be NASCAR drivers. Chandler Smith is another guy that comes to mind immediately. Um, he's working with Chase Elliott's former crew chief, Ricky Turner. He and Chandler and his dad, Mike, they believe that he's got, you know, cup talent. And so I think a race like the Derby, um, it's an opportunity for these younger drivers to prove themselves against the likes of Kyle Busch, against Johnny Sauter. And even some of these veterans like Bubba Pollard, who, who have been around for a long time, and they're going to be the face of late model racing, Augie Grill. So, so it's interesting to me to see these kind of uh, multiple ambitions kind of crossing paths at the Snowball Derby because these kids are trying to go NASCAR racing, and the veterans like the Pollards, the Grills, uh, the Stephen Nassies, they're late model drivers for life, and then they want to defend their turf. So to me, that's kind of the storyline that I think we should all follow this week. And I don't mean to to rain on your parade here a little bit. I just have a a question about the finances of this whole thing. Steve Wallace came out this week and said he didn't want to spend $30,000 to win 20. Um, You know, for somebody who, again, is a uh, not even a modest fan at best, usually just watches the Snowball Derby, is this something that is a common feeling amongst these teams that this race – has become so big now that they have to spend so much money to be competitive and they don't win a lot. Uh, and how do you think that will affect the race moving forward if that is a trend? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a, a tough topic to fully address in kind of the short amount of time we have just because there are so many different elements at play. But, yeah, um, Stephen Wallace won the race in 2004. And so to use his words, We've starred in that movie before. We don't need to do it again. But there are a lot of guys who, you know, will spend any amount of money whatsoever to win this race because it's not about the purse. I mean, to these guys, winning the race will just slightly mitigate how much they they spent to win it. Um, But there is a really big problem, a a cost containment problem, in super late model racing and late model stock racing in general, and it's something that they need to address. It is – quite frankly, insane to me that these teams are spending upwards of, of $30,000 to win a race that pays 20. Um, and a lot of that is the engine cost. Uh, the teams that are the most serious about winning this race, they're going to hire NASCAR pit crews to come in on Sunday. And that's basically four to $5,000 per pit crew. So that's already uh, a quarter of what that race pays to win that you're spending on a pit crew alone. Um, it's a 16-tire race, which is probably too many for a 300-lap race anyway. But then the exorbitant amount of testing these guys do, uh, there's a, a three-day practice session that leads up to Sunday, but all of these teams had an open practice last Saturday, and they're all renting the tracks throughout the, the months leading up to the Derby. So the industry at large, a lot like NASCAR, to be honest with you, has some some issues to address. Now, the fortunate thing is 
we've seen it now with NASCAR, the Race Team Alliance, the um, the Drivers Council, the sanctioning body. There has been a greater um, sense of collaboration between those those three entities, and you're starting to see it. Uh, the pit the pit crew decision made last week is part of it. Um, two day shows. So I, I think there are some there are some synergy to be had between NASCAR and short track racing. NASCAR or short track racing rather, excuse me, is looking at the body rule, engine rule moving forward, how much testing, tires. Um, so the conversation is taking place. Um, the entire industry is going to go to the PRI trade show in Indianapolis um, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of next week. And um, that's going to be a topic of conversation there. So the, the comforting thing to me is that, yes, they're spending too much money to win too little money. But, again, like a NASCAR, they're taking the steps they need to to address it. Um, it took them 25 years, in my opinion, to get to this point. It's probably going to take them another 25 to fully get out of it. Hey, Matt, um, how much of, as you look through – the late model ranks throughout the different series. I mean, you've got the Richards with rocket chassis and his his uh, team, as you look through the way he does it, you got Josh Richards doing his, you got Clint Boyer owning a team. You got Bobby Labonte who's owned teams before. Um, then you've got Kyle Busch motorsports with their late model endeavors. You got junior motorsports with their late model endeavors. Look at the world of outlaws. It's the same thing when you got Tony Stewart having a team, you got Casey Kane owning a team, you got Kyle Larson and uh, Justin Marks owning teams. How tough is it for the the just the regular late driver to these? It's almost like you're looking at um, a front row motorsports going against the Gibbs at the Cup level. How much? Is, how tough is it for the regular late model driver to go up against these? NASCAR driver-owned teams and driver-funded teams where $30,000 to Kyle Busch is a drop in the bucket. That's what he, I mean, he can fall out of bed and spend $30,000. Yeah, you know, fortunately for the little guys, as it were, the great thing about this race is that the technical director of the Snowball Derby, who is a guy that I've written about extensively over the years, Ricky Brooks, is the best guy at crafting a rule book that short track racing could have because yes, the teams that have access to the most resources, the most money, they're going to win and they're going to win a lot of races, but it allows a platform for, you know, blue collar organizations to be able to go in there and compete against the likes of, of Kyle Busch motorsports and, and David Gilliland racing who has ties to Toyota racing development uh, because he writes rule book that really keeps everyone bunched so close together that really the only thing that money can buy you is just keeping your, your parts updated and making sure that you have uh, the newest and the best and the latest, but it's not necessarily going to buy you more speed. It's just going to buy you um, modern comforts, if you will. Now, and to my point, actually, let me add this. People think that this is like, Highway robbery, Kyle Busch coming into the Snowball Derby, NASCAR Cup driver, he's going to come in and clean house from all of these blue-collar late-model teams. Kyle Busch runs, on average, five super late-model races a year. And with that being said, the last time he's won a race is summer 2014. He has gone over his past 30 or so. 
just because it's that hard to win races. Now, he won a race wow. in Wisconsin earlier this year, the Dixieland 250, that he was disqualified for in post-race tech. But again, it goes back to what I said about the rule books that are in place, that you can't come in and just outspend the competition. You've got to drive these cars because everyone is so equal. And so I, I think that a race like the Snowball Derby does such a good job of making sure that the haves and the have-nots are as equal as possible. Hallelujah, taking a win away, by the way. Um, listen, I this race I've watched the last couple of years. I know they have breaks and mandatory cautions they throw. Uh, part of that is to break up the, like you mentioned, with the pit crews and everything. Uh, how will that affect the racing on Sunday, do you think, these, these mandatory cautions? So last year was kind of an outlier because uh, rain, heavy rain, pushed the race back from Sunday night to Tuesday night. And so basically track officials abolished um, the pit crews because otherwise you'd have to bring them back in on Monday, another four to $5,000. Bring them back on Tuesday when they ran the race, another four to $5,000. So you're looking at nearly $15,000 on pit crew per day uh, to run the race. So they, they, they broke it into stages to allow them to be able to pit the cars um, under red flag conditions. Um, that's not going to be the case this year. They're going back to a more traditional um, open pit road. Uh, there, there will still be a caution, but the way the rules work is is you can run 75 consecutive laps under green, at which point a caution comes out. Now, if a caution comes out naturally, it resets the clock. It's almost like the old truck series caution clock we had last year. So it's not so much stages. Uh, but the reason they have that is the, the, the track surface of Pensacola is really abrasive. It's right off the beach, lots of salt in the air, and the track hasn't been paved in 30-odd uh, years. And so they, they throw the caution every 75 laps under green so you don't have to pit under green because obviously a team like Cowbush Motorsports, which has um, you know JGR pit crews, working on the car or even a guy like um, Ty Majeski who was bringing in his Roush Fenway crew. Um, it it kind of takes away the advantage a little bit that you're not hitting under green like you would a NASCAR race. So to me, what it does for the race is it once again allows the blue collar teams, you know, Bubba Pollard, Bubba Pollard is considered one of the favorites to win this race. He does not hire a pit crew at all. He's got the same group of guys who, who works out of his shop who are blue-collar guys who have jobs, they took time off of to work this race, they're going to pick through the car, and he could win the race. And it's due in part to those rules. Hey, Matt, do me a favor. Give me two or three guys who are who we're going to hear about Sunday that we could hear about in the K&N series, maybe next year, the truck series, a couple years after that. Give me two or three guys who you think could end up in a cup car five years down the road. Well, I would cheat a little bit if I, I said Harrison Burton because obviously the um, the lineage the the resume is there as the Canon champion so I'm going to disclude him but I, I wanted to say that because I think he's a mega talent um, but I think Christian Eckes the the reigning winner is a guy that has a lot of potential he probably needs to work on his marketability a little bit his he's got a kind of an outward shyness and as you guys know that to be able to make it. And in the Cup Series, you've got to win on the racetrack, but you also have to win on the boardroom as well. So that's one guy that I'm thinking of. Uh, Chandler Smith has been in a late model since he was 13 years old. He's now 15 years old. So he's got a, a long maturation 
uh, process there. But he's working with, with Ricky Turner, who is the, the guy that engineered Chase Elliott's late model success. And Ricky tells me that he's got the same sort of um, raw talent that Chase Elliott has. And we, we especially saw in the second half this year in the Cup Series that Chase Elliott finally started to get it as a Cup driver. Um, a, a third name... You know, it's fascinating to me because it's just it's so hard to, to talk about who's going to go to NASCAR because it's not necessarily, you know, talent or or engineering. A lot of it's just sometimes money and, and just knowing the right connections. Uh, but a third name, I wish I had an injury list in front of me because I'm, I'm kind of struggling to put everyone in front of me. Um, That's all right. I said two or three. You got, you got us a good yeah. two. And if we find out whoever wins and if isn't one of those two, we'll just put that as your third. I mean, obviously, another about, name I would say, too, just to go with Ty Majeski. Obviously, that guy is a superstar. How about, uh, you know, there's a lot of big-name drivers. You talked about earlier, Kyle Busch is in this race. Majeski's, uh, you know, a rising star to the Rash Fenway ranks. Who's your pick to win on Sunday? Uh, if you can't pick one guy, you can give us a couple. Of who, who do you think uh, <laughs> is the favorite coming into this race? Man, you know, I, I get asked this every year, obviously, and I feel like, Every other year, my answer is the same, and it just hasn't happened yet. You know, Bubba Pollard is the king of the super late models, and he does this out of a family-owned race shop in Sonoya, Georgia, which is where The Walking Dead is, is filmed, believe it or not. Um, he is a, a guy that's kind of risen from being a, a blue-collar uh, family logging company to a a race car driver who has won all the big races now. He's won the most races of any active driver at Five Flags Speedway, won the Slinger Nationals in Wisconsin this year, um, has won all the big races, the All-American 400, won the Winter Showdown in, in Bakersfield, California, but has not won the Snowball Derby. It's kind of become a, a cliche at this point, but I don't, I don't know if you guys know the story as well, but he's basically Dale Earnhardt at the Daytona 500. He's ran this race pretty much every year since 2004, 2017 now. Uh, he's, he's had several top fives and top tens, a lot of crashes. Um, he, he's led late, just like Earnhardt in, in 92, 93, I believe, when he had the cut tire, taking the white flag. He's had those kind of situations as well, and he just cannot win this race because of just circumstances. But every year he, he, he shows up with a fast car. He won the poll a couple of years ago, had the track record until Chase Elliott broke it in 2015. So here I am once again. I'm going to look stupid on, on Sunday night probably, but I'm going to say Bubba Pollard. And, you know, one of these years he's going to get one. It's just a matter of, of when, not if. Yeah, I don't feel bad, Matt. I was the one that said Tony Stewart will win every race his uh, last year in the, in the Cup Series. And I got one right, so I was one for 36. <laughs> You know, in baseball, that's a pretty good batting average. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, and I, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on the show tonight, talking about um, the Snowball Derby. What do you guys got coming down the pike this weekend there at Auto Week and uh, Short Track Team? Yeah, you know, it's kind of all hands on deck for me because, you know, I, I've got a great job at Auto Week, and, you know, we're monitoring what's going on in Vegas, and, you know, IMSA has a test coming up at – Daytona next week on Tuesday and Wednesday and so I'm certainly monitoring that and I'm lucky enough that I can be able to take some time on the side to be able to do what is basically my hobby in short track racing coverage so you know it's all snowball derby all the time we're going to do that for auto week as well 
but you know, you you guys know me. I cover a lot of different disciplines, and uh, I'm watching all of it, even though I'm here in Pensacola for the Derby. Hey Matt, one other thing before before we let you go, I know the snow snowball derby derby is your passion. Um, what other place other than like Indy, uh, Daytona, any of the big tracks? What's another place you just love to be at and watch the cars go? Oh man, that's tough because I've got obviously a lot of short tracks from my youth to draw upon. Uh, I've been to a lot of cool Indy car races the past couple of years. I grew up racing dirt actually, and so my in my childhood, me and my dad would go up and down dirt tracks um, across the southeast when I was karting and, and running uh, bandoleros. So I've got so much to draw upon. But one thing that really stands out to me, and I want to tell this story so bad. I went to my first ever world rally race, world rally championship race in Sardinia in July. And I was blown away by the experience. So if there's any kind of race that I would tell a fan to go to, go to a world rally race, no matter what country it is, what location, it is a once in a lifetime experience. Well, I appreciate that. I'm sort of the same way. I grew up dirt at the dirt tracks. My dad used to be an engine builder for uh, 410 sprints in central Pennsylvania. So I grew up watching the Pennsylvania posse. And anytime the outlaws come to town, go to Williams Grove. That's the one I always recommend anybody goes to. Yeah, that's still on my bucket list. And hopefully I can knock that and the Knoxville Nationals off here in the next couple of years. For sure. There's a lot of races I think we all would like to get to, uh, you know, in our lifetimes for sure. Matt, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, anytime. Uh, You guys know how to reach me now, so uh, please, yeah, let's do it again. Let's appreciate it, it very yeah. much. Man. I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you. That was Matt Weaver from Auto Week and Short Track Scene. A lot of good information there. I'm excited for the Snowball Derby, John. I think it's it's a great race because, like, you get a week off after the after the grind that the Cup Series the, uh, the Cup Series schedule, the Cup Series season for us. You know, talking about it, it's a grind. 36 weeks, it's a lot. Um, and then you go watch some great short track racing uh, after that. I think it's it's a lot of fun. And I'll be certainly uh, be watching definitely on Sunday uh, the Snowball Derby. And the happiest person in the world that the banquet was moved up to Thursday night this year is Kyle Bush because he has the chance to get down to the Snowball Derby practice before he ends up running it on Sunday. Because um, if you remember in the past couple of years, it's been a hit or miss of whether or not he was going to be able to make it or not. So it's really cool that the amount of talent that shows up at that one short track in Pensacola, Florida this week of the year, it's, it's just amazing. It really is. It's it's great, and now I think it, it's gotten better as the years have gone on. And uh, you know, I love learning about racers and people who are passionate about racing. And uh, you know, Pensacola has a lot of a lot of those folks there down there this weekend. Um, moving on, John, we 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 do this every year, and uh, it's this time of year. You know, like I said, a couple of weeks after the Cup Series ended, we give our, our team chart, an organization team charts. I guess you can call them report cards. You know, just a quick letter grade and, and the reason why you gave it to him. You know, last year we, we went into a little bit more detail. Uh, I think this year we don't have to go into as much detail. Um, just a quick letter grade, why you gave each team the, the letter grade uh, for what they got. Based on performance, you know, improvement and expectations, uh, we judge on that as well. So I'll start it off here, you know, starting with the Chevrolet teams. We're going to do the big Chevrolet teams um, here quick. And I'll start it off with Hendrick Motorsports. Um, Hendrick Motorsports, to me, they got a C-plus on this season. 
Uh, they didn't have a lot of speed this year. I think, you know, when you look at that, you know, the 88 car finished 21st in points, and I, I know Junior was retiring, and that was a big distraction uh, throughout the year, but they didn't have speed. The 48 car wasn't where they needed to be, especially when it came chase time, when everybody expected that 48 car to pick up and really run good. He didn't run great. Casey Kane had a tough year. The only guy at Hendrick Motorsports that really had a good year was Chase Elliott. So uh, I'm going to give uh, Hendrick Motorsports a C-plus, John. I give Hendrick Motorsports a D because of what they've done in the past. Um, Casey Kane was out to lunch most of the year, but I think the Darian Grubb move is going to be helpful. Um, junior was junior. Uh, we all knew he was retiring. We pretty much knew whenever he strapped in at Daytona that he was going to hang it up. He just waited a little while to make sure. Um, the reason I'm giving him a D is because of the performance of Jimmy Johnson in the playoffs. You always think the 48 is going to be there and the light switch goes on when they hit uh, Chicago for the first race of the playoffs. That light, that light switch wasn't even the same room as them this year. They were terrible in the, in the playoffs. They were out to lunch. The only thing that kept Hendrick Motorsports from being an F in my book because of what they've been in the past is Chase Elliott's performance throughout the season. Uh, as many second places as he had, as many chances as he had to win, he was the standard bearer for Hendrick Motorsports in the 24 car. He's the only reason Hendrick Motorsports didn't get an F to me, but I give him a D because every other year, Hendrick Motorsports is usually an A or a B, and this year's performance compared to what Hendrick normally is, is a D. Yeah, listen, they had a really tough year. I don't think anybody would argue with that. I think they're really excited to see what goes on here with uh, the new body, the new Chevy Camaro coming next season in the Cup Series. Chip Ganassi Racing is next, John. Listen, I think Kyle Larson, uh, it was his coming out party this year. The team ran so good. The 42 team was very, very fast. Won a couple of races. Uh, a little disappointing to see what happened to him in the chase. and went with an engine failure and then Talladega. Not really his fault of why he didn't run for the championship. Ran really good at Homestead, was fast. Uh, I give Ganassi an A-. minus. You know, uh, as much as I talk, and, and I think uh, Jamie McMurray had had good speed this year, but they weren't able to find victory lane. I was a little bit disappointed in that one team from that perspective where they had a fast car really all year long, but we didn't see him win any stages. We didn't see him win any races. Uh, so that brings their grade down a little bit. So I give Chip Ganassi Racing an A-. minus. I give Ganassi a B plus and uh, four consecutive DNFs in the Playoffs is why they didn't get an A minus. Uh, McMurray, if you think about it, I probably would have gave him a B minus. I would have gave Larson an A minus, and I added it up to get a B plus out of it. Um, take away those four DNFs in the playoffs for Kyle Larson, and Kyle Larson probably would have had a shot at being the champion because you think about the way they were run at the end of Homestead. I think Kyle Larson put on the brakes and just sat back and did not get in the way of the Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch race to the finish. Because, you look, he caught them like it was his job, and then he just sort of sat back and watched. I think if uh, Kyle Larson was up for a championship there, he would have blown by Kyle Busch and chased down uh, Truex, and it would have been a battle to the end. Uh, but the McMurray thing, they just – they're there – but they're not there. I mean, you know they're in the you know they're in the game because they're in the top ten, but you know they're not going to win because they just find a way not to. But Larson mm-hmm. is the real deal, and I think I really think the Chevy Camaro coming next year. You look at what Toyota did with the front end this year. You look at 
Chevy's redesigning next year, and they're going to try to make it as Toyota-like as they can, it's going to be a good year for Chevy next year. Yeah, listen, I agree. I think Larson's unbelievable. Um, you know, and I'd like to see what – you know, McMurray's going to have a year here again where I think they're going to be very strong. Ganassi's really improved their performance over the last couple of years, and I think Kyle Larson has a lot to do with that. Um, Richard Childress Racing is next. Boy, John, I know they won uh, two races this year. Austin Dillon, the 600. Uh, Ryan Newman won at Phoenix. But other than that, it was a really, really, really tough year for Richard Childress Racing. Paul Menard, uh, you know, not to, to try and harp on him too badly here, but he forgot he was even in the race sometimes, you know. Uh, he was running, you know, 25th on back at times this year. They really struggled. Uh, a, a tough year for Richard Childress Racing. I think even in the Xfinity, they, they weren't getting the speed they wanted to have. Um, I'm going to give them a C- here. I just... And I know they won two races. I think they were better in 2015 or 2016 than they were in 2017. Uh, what are your thoughts on Richard Childress Racing? Um, I give a C because even though they didn't run as good as they could have, still Austin Dillon and Ryan Newman found a way into the playoffs. So you can't really be – I mean, whenever you're expectate, I mean, you're third on the list in the Chevy teams to begin with. And – you expect hopefully, I mean, you hope one of them makes the playoffs. Two of them did on strategy. Menard was out to lunch most of the year, but we also knew most of the year Menard wasn't going to come back. So they weren't really, if you think about it, I bet Childers put as much as they could in the three and the 31 and the 27 got the leftovers. And you had the 13 in there because Childers going to take care of uh, Ty as much as he would take care of Austin and Newman. So I give him a C just because, I didn't expect much from them, so they're average throughout the year to me. I mean, it's a 15th, 25th place car. That's average in the, that's average in the field. Yeah. Uh, I get your – you grouped Jermaine, and that's fine. I get Jermaine to see uh, talking about them. I, I think, you know, uh, I expect a little bit more. I think everybody, you know, when you look at the RCR lines, they expect a little bit more from the Geico team this year. Uh, they made a crew chief change, and that Borland will be there next season. Um, so we'll see if that improves in performance at all on that 13 car, but, uh, you know, not a great year, but not a horrible year either from them. Listen, a team I was very impressed with, and, and they have an RCR alliance, uh, was Levine family. Michael McDowell had a really good year this year. Uh, Todd Parrott's think a great crew chief. I think they made a mistake letting him go. Uh, we'll see where they both land. McDowell looks like he's going to drive the 34. I'm not sure where Todd Parrott ends up, but I give Levine family a B just because I didn't expect the expectations to be there this year, running their first full-time season. And they really had a good season. Uh, especially in the second half, they really picked up, um, and I was very impressed with what they did. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the Vine family? I give them a B minus considering what they've been in the past and the way they performed this year. The only problem is I think they um, are thinking too big. I'm not sure if Casey Kane's the right guy for that team yet because Casey Kane's used to coming from Hendrick Motorsports where you want for nothing. And Levine family racing has not really – done it on a huge budget and we don't know what what they're going to have for sponsorship next year because i think k-love went with michael mcdowell wherever he's going i'm not sure if um private financials going with them too which i think it will um i just think they they're going to try to outgrow themselves next year because they they got where they could taste something with michael mcdowell and todd parrot which is a good matchup and i hope if michael mcdowell goes to the 34 front row motorsports is smart enough to say hey Todd Parrott, come work more magic with Michael McDowell because you guys work great together. 
I think it was a great year for them. I give them a B minus, and um, it's better than they've ever done before. Oh, for sure, I agree. I think it was their best year, far and away. Next team, uh, and that's the final one we're going to do from the Chevrolet teams right now. Uh, JTD Dalry Racing. I give them a C. I thought Chris Busher had a pretty good year. His first year with that team, the a startup number 30, uh, thirty-seven team. I thought they ran really good again. Second half of the year when they started going to these racetracks again, Trent Owens and Chris Busher seemed to run pretty good. Uh, they had some speed. I'll tell you, AJ Allmendinger had a really, really disappointing year for whatever reason. They couldn't figure it out. They had a crew chief change in the middle of the year. Uh, they got rid of Randall Burnett and brought in uh, Tristan Smith there for a while, and they did not run good. Almendinger finished in 2016 in points. Almendinger finished 19th this year. He finished 27th in the standings. A very disappointing year for him. So uh, that's why their grades so low, John. Uh, I give him a D uh, just because Almendinger's season was so bad. I would have gave him an F, and I would have gave uh, Busher a C. So I give the uh, JTG Doherty team a D. Um, I think it would have been. I think their win was taken out of their sails with the big penalty on Almendinger's team early in the season, and they just never recovered from it. But I think going forward, um, Chris Butcher is the guy that JTG Doherty is going to hang their hat on, and I think Almendinger will be driving for a job this year. If he finishes 27th in points again, AJ Almendinger will not be in that 47 car. And I mean, as you're going forward, it's this guy's freaking baddie. AJ Allmendinger has a ride. Matt Kenseth doesn't. So that's NASCAR. You know, I don't know if Matt would take JTG. To be honest with you, I don't know if that's in his top echelon of rides. But um, you know, listen, it was a, definitely a tough year for that 47 car. Um, and they have to write the ship there. I agree with you. I think if they don't write the ship there, people are going to start pointing fingers. In, in the direction that A.J. Um, Allmendinger, I don't think, wants to be pointed. Next uh, manufacturer on the list is Toyota. Uh, we're going to start with Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, I'm going to give them an A, and, and that might be a little high in a lot of people's minds, but I thought you know, the only person I think that brings this team down a little bit was Suarez. Rookie year, you expect a little rookie rookie blues, some struggles. He didn't run as good as his teammates did. Kenseth, we saw him win at Phoenix. They got off to a sluggish start, uh, but he, he ran very well in the second half of the year. Um, Denny Hamlin had a pretty good year this year, and Kyle Busch uh, was the second-best team out there this year behind um, Martin Trix Jr., so I give Joe Gibbs Racing an A. I give him an A-, and part of it was the struggles of the Kenseth team throughout the season and the way they started off the season. Um, you kept wondering when Joe Gibbs Racing was going to wake up the first third of the season because, I mean, they were around. Kyle Busch was around. Everybody else was sort of, eh. I think Daniel Suarez, as they got to the second half, went back to tracks for a second time, ran so much better. And for being a rookie, he uh, met every expectation we had. We picked him, what, in the top 20 in points. We didn't expect him to be in the playoffs. We didn't expect him to win a race. But we expect him to be a learning curve. I think uh, Kenseth winning at Phoenix um, boosted the team up more. Denny Hamlin ran great the second half of the year, and Kyle Busch, I mean, the only thing better than Kyle Busch this year was Martin Truex Jr. So I give Gibbs an A minus, and the only reason I give him an A minus is there's only one team that's getting an A in my book, and we'll talk about them later. Matter of fact, we'll probably talk yeah. about them next. Well, I was going to say we'll probably talk about them next, and that is Furniture Racing. Uh, listen, I give them an A plus. I mean, and the the, the hard part was I was, I was debating. I said I ah, quit being so 
uh, so hard on furniture racing. The the 77 car is part of furniture racing. They didn't make the chase. I know you had the rookie driver there, a startup second team. So I'll give them a pass there on the year where they didn't make the chase. But listen, that 78 car all year long was a rocket ship. Martin Shrek's Jr., Cole Pern, Furniture Racing, that team was unbelievable all year long. They were the best team in, in NASCAR, hands down, no doubt about it, especially when we got to the mile and a half. And that's our bread and butter in, in NASCAR. They were phenomenal. And uh, they deserve an A-plus there, John. I, I just, what else can you say? He's a, he's a champion for a reason. He had a, a phenomenal, phenomenal season. Well, when you got your two-car team and one wins Rookie of the Year and the other is your cup champion, it's tough to not give them the A-plus. So I'm going to give them an A. Just because an A team would have finished two in my um, if you discount the seventy seven, which at times I think I should because it's not there next year. The only reason the seventy seven existed was because Gibbs wanted Eric Jones in the Cup series. Eric Jones wanted in the Cup series. He probably would have signed somewhere else. So Toyota found a home for him with uh, Barney Vester, and um, that seventy eight team would be an A double plus. I mean, you can't put enough pluses under that 78 team this year. And the fact is they beat Joe Gibbs racing with Joe Gibbs racing equipment. And they didn't just beat them. They beat the living, beat the living crap out of them. I mean, mm-hmm. Martin Truex had more laps than anybody. He won more stages than anybody. He was the dominant car all season long. And if you think about it, we only saw one time on a mile and a half, where anybody drove away from Martin Truex, and that was a tax that got him. And they were just yeah. a little bit off that day, but all season long on a mile and a half, even when they had struggles. I mean, you look, they had a problem in the pits uh, at Homestead where they got put, shuffled back in the pack. Truex found a way to win, and that's what they did all season long. No doubt. I, I mean, listen, again, I, I don't even know all their positive things you can say about this team. All year, it was a dominant, dominant year. They really, really, really uh, put a whip into the field there in the Cup Series. Uh, real quick, and, and this is BK Racing here, uh, Toyota team, just because there's no other Toyota teams, I wanted to add them in, in a Toyota camp. Uh, BK Racing, John, listen, Corey Joy. I think Corey Joy did a very good job for the equipment he was in this year. I want to make, make the statement before I give my grade. Uh, I think he's a, he's a good talent. I think he's a good driver. Um just needs an opportunity. Uh, BK Racing, they had they had a bunch of drivers in the 83 all year long. Uh, Greg Golding started the year in the 23. Then they flipped the joys to the 23. Um, they have, a, you know, not this shouldn't add into their performance, but they have a bunch of financial issues. Uh, B minus. I just think, you know, I, I would never give a team an F, but you know that team, um, they they just struggled real this year. Uh, again, I think LaJoy did a very good job for the stuff he was in. Um, but other than that, you know, the, I don't know if you could have done much better than what Joy did, to be honest with you. And I think he finished, what, 33rd in points probably. So it just shows you where that team is. Well, I'd like to give Corey LaJoy his own grade, and I'll give him a C because when you're running in that crap of equipment and you run as decent as he did this year, he deserves a decent grade. He deserves to pass the class. For or BK Racing, I give an F-. minus. When you start the season with your shop padlocked and you finish the season in court because a bank thinks they own the charter that you sold to somebody else, that's an F minus. 
because that guy has no business being in the sport. He's Bobby Ginn. He's the guy who uh, put the 35 together to put Daryl Waltrip in that's in jail again. Um, Tim Beverly, yeah. Yeah, Tim Beverly. Ron Devine has no business being in the sport, and I hope he goes away, and I hope NASCAR takes his charters. And he has one charter. I hope somebody buys it or NASCAR takes it back because he's an embarrassment to the sport. There's a lot of stuff, I think, that uh, is yet to come out about that. Um, but, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, get into a deeper dive. But um, no doubt about it, there's been financial issues with this team. You know, even in the middle of the year, you remember we, we brought on uh, uh, Dustin Albino from FrontStretch.com bringing, you know, issues, uh, several drivers saying they, they he owes them money. Um, you know, and, and there's two sides to every story. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, when, when the same finger is being pointed at, when all these fingers are being pointed at the same guy, you start to wonder if there is definitely something there. Um, and, you know, I, I really just think when you look at that team, uh, it's unfortunate that so many good people and good drivers like LaJoy and people who don't have anything to do with what's going on with that team financially are getting dragged through the mud there. That's my biggest uh, – that's the saddest thing about it for me is, you know, these guys who are who are associated with this team are getting dragged through the mud um, with virtually something out of their control. We'll move to Ford, the next manufacturer, um, and we're going to start with Team Penske. Um, I'm going to give Team Penske a B. Uh, Logano had a really, really tough year this year. Uh, Richmond, ever since they got that penalty at Richmond, they weren't the same team. Um, you know, we saw a little bit of speed pickup last five or six races of the year in that 22 car. But other than that, they weren't great. They had a really, really tough year. Todd Gordon was searching. Joe Logano was searching. I think Logano and Gordon can get it done. I just think they kind of had, uh, you know, a little disheveled this year. I thought Kozlowski and Paul Wolf performed pretty well. Um, you know, and for for I do agree that, he, that four is behind. Um, so... With that, I think, um, you know, they perform very well. If you want to include uh, Ryan Blaney in the Team Penske or deal with the Wood Brothers, you can. Uh, I think they virtually are the same grade with a B. Blaney got his first win, did a good job there. Uh, you know, we kind of saw that 21 team fade towards the second half, towards the last half of the, of the season. Uh, but a B overall, I think it was a decent year, but uh, Team Penske will want to see more speed next year. Um if you can, if you add Blaney into the Team Penske mix, which it seems like we're going to, I'll give him a B minus. Logano did never he never recovered from the encumbered win at Richmond, and they were behind the eight ball the rest of the year. There was something they were doing to that car that just never came back. Um, Keselowski had a penalty early in the season, and him and Paul Wolf found found a way to get around it. I think the most consistent performer out of the Team Penske Wood Brothers camp all season was Ryan Blaney. He was there. I mean, his win at Pocono and Harvick was all over him in Pocono, trying to force a mistake, and Blaney did not make it. I think Blaney is the most consistent performer of that team, but I give him a B minus because Logano was as bad as he was this year. Yeah, I mean, Joey, it, it was just, you mentioned it, you know, it was a, a lost season for that 22 team that could just never find it after their encumbered win at Richmond. And that, that's, 
uh, unfortunate, you know, and I think Logano can drive, and I think Ty Gordon's a great crew chief. I think uh, Team Penske is a good team. Um, so I don't think there's anything as far as that. It's just sometimes it's not your year, and I think for the 22 car, that year was 2017. Stuart Haas Racing is next to Team Near and Dear to Your Heart. Uh, I give them a B plus. I think Kevin Harvick had a very good had a pretty good year. He only won two races, but we saw speed in that team most of the time. Uh, Clint Boyer ran okay in his first year at, at Stuart Haas Racing. Kurt Busch won the Daytona 500. Um, had a little bit of disappointing end to the year, but wasn't horrible overall. And Danica's kind of out on her own island because of her doing her own thing. Uh, you know, so that I give him a B plus because I think team had the most consistent Ford team all year long in Kevin Harvick. So I give them a B-plus for that reason. I give them a B-minus overall because you've got four teams. Um, if you if I was to grade Harvick, I'd grade him an A-minus. But I have to give Danica an F, so you're automatically at a C. And both um, Boyer and Kurt Busch, I mean, Boyer actually would give a better grade this year than Kurt Busch because – Kurt Busch won Daytona, and then they were a lot of the time out to lunch. They were averaging a 19th place finish in the playoffs, and that's not going to get it done. Uh, there could be some upheaval there. Tony Gibson sort of wants to come off the road, so it should be interesting to see what happens. And plus, Kurt Busch still isn't signed to that 4-1. Dana was Danica. Yeah. She was just bad all season. But I think the big thing and the reason I think they would have had a better grade if they stayed with Chevy, but the switch to Ford was tougher than everybody anticipated. And they thought they just uh, changed the clip, put it on the uh, chassis and go. Well, there's a lot of different parts that Ford puts in places that Chevy didn't. So there was a lot more work that went into making the Stuart Haas racing team what it was this year. I think uh, Clint Boyer actually, I mean, it was it was sad that he didn't make the playoffs. I think he was as consistent, if not, I mean, he was the second most consistent uh, player on the Stuart Haas team. But I think it was a B-minus for Stuart Haas Racing, but I think there's a lot better to come because now they have notes in the Ford. Uh, now... Clint Boyer and Mike Bogoravich have been together for a year. Harvick and uh, Rodney Childers know the Ford. And you saw at the end of the year with Harvick and Rodney Childers, they were the only team that I saw pull away from Truex on a mile-and-a-half track. Yeah, and I think that's that was definitely a positive sign for them um, in the right direction. Uh, next team is Roush Fenway. Um, you know, a team I expected to pick up a little bit this year. Um, they didn't have a great year um, speed-wise. They just seemed a little bit off. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was phenomenal on, on restricted plates. One talent egg in Daytona. Um, so that is added in there. Trevor Bain um, had a good start to the year. Didn't end so great. Uh, I give them a C plus. Um, I just think they just, you know, still we haven't seen Roush regain the speed that, that they lost you know, four or five years ago, and who knows if we'll ever see it. Um, but, you know, I think Stenhouse can drive. I definitely think he's good. I think the book's still out on Bain. Um, so I give him a C-plus there for Rosh Fenway. I give him a straight C, and I give Stenhouse a B. I give Trevor Bain a D, and I think I'm being nice to Trevor Bain, giving him a D. Um, 
I don't think Trevor Bain is a cup driver. I think the reason Trevor Bain's in cup is because he brings sponsorship with him. Um, Ricky Stenhouse is the future of Roush Fenway racing. And I think he ran really well this year. Roush Fenway is still behind uh, the other Ford teams and most of the really good teams. But you could see they were picking it up with the performance of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. There were some tracks that Ricky Stenhouse has always been junk on where he was a top 10, top 15 driver. So I give Stenhouse a B with the way they performed this year. I give Trevor Bain a D, and I think he's the anchor that's pulling the team back. It's interesting. You know, I, I thought the 17 car was better in the early part of the year than they were in the second part of the year. Um, as I said about a lot of teams this year, um, I just think, you know, Roush just, we have to, see, before I grade their drivers fully, you know, we have to see them pick up their game. And I think Stenhouse is a good parameter. I think he can get it done. You know, if he went to another team that was more competitive, I think he'd win a lot of races. So um, I, I definitely think uh, Stenhouse is, is a good parameter as far as who can get it done. Next team is RPM. Um, they had a tough year. Amarola got broke his back. You know, missed a bunch of races in the middle of the year. Regan Smith subbed. Then it was Bubba Wallace. Amarola came back. Uh, then they had a little bit of, you know, Amarola being Elaine Duck. Smithfield leaving. So they had a tough year for RPM. I give them a C. Uh, you know, just because they found their future in Bubba Wallace, you know, obviously it wasn't planned, um, but they found their future in a driver who's going to be there for a little while in Bubba Wallace. And that was officially announced uh, a couple of months ago. He'll be the, the driver for 2018 and beyond there. Um, you know, but... A very, they're in a very tough spot because when you lose your driver in the middle of the year, it takes your playoff chances away, and it was really hard to gauge uh, how that team performed in 2017. I think I give, um, if I was to grade overall and individually when it comes to the drivers, I give Almirola a D. I mean, even before he hurt his back, he wasn't running very well. I give Bubba Wallace a B because he actually outperformed what Eric Almirola did in his uh, brief. Uh, audition with Richard Petty Motorsports, which is probably why he's driving the 43 this year. Overall, as a team, I'd probably give him a C- or D somewhere because you thought they were starting to make the turn. Last year, they built their own chassis and fell behind, so they went back to the Roush stuff, and they stayed behind. They weren't really fast. They weren't really competitive. Um, the only reason you knew Richard Petty Motorsports was in the news at any point during the season was – when Almirola got hurt, then they put Bubba in the car. Then Almirola wasn't coming back to the car. Then Smithfield was leaving. Other than the drama, you didn't know Richard Petty Motorsports was in the in the race, and that's why I give him a C minus D plus, depending on which way I flip the coin. That day. Yeah, and you know we'll see how they do next year because it sounds like they're going to be changing manufacturers going forward, most likely to Chevrolet. They haven't officially announced that yet been a hot rumor, um, you know, so we'll see what they go for 2018. But, uh, yeah, it was a tough year. There's no doubt about it. I think, you know, they went through a solo cooperation. Two people forget Brian Scott was the second car there last year. Um, so they went through a, a, a solo cooperation, too, to kind of scale back. It didn't really pay off there either as well. Uh, next team is Front Row Motorsports. They are two cooperation, David Reagan in the 38, uh, Landon Castle in the 34, uh, Landon Castle lost his ride. He'll be out. He's out at the, after this season, at the 2017. Uh, there'll be a new driver in that car. Most likely it's going to be Michael McDowell. Uh, Reagan had a pretty good year. I thought Reagan, um, for the most part, they had speed. They were the better 
they were a better team of the two this season, the 38 car. Um, you know, top 25 is really a win for them. That's where they want to run, and Reagan did that uh, about half the time this year. Uh, came close to winning the July race at Daytona, very close, had a very good race there. Um, so I give them uh, as well, you know, when, when you talk about expectations and, and where you expect these teams to run, I give them a C as well. I thought they had a pretty good year uh, for motorsports. They're, they're, you know, slowly making gains on the rest of the field. They're going to have Tier 1 engines next year, it sounds like, as well. Uh, so they'll, they'll even close the gap a little bit more. Uh, so I give them a C. A C. Uh, David Reagan, one of the good things about him is he doesn't tear up equipment. And he gives you something to um, build off of to figure out how you're going to um, make the day go. I mean, he's going to give you something to build off of as you, he'll give you notes that you can find a way to make the car better. I think Landon Castle got in trouble this year, just was at times driving in over his head. So, I think it was one of those things where the team was okay. I think they're going to be better next year. I hope if Michael McDowell is the driver of the 34 that they end up bringing Todd Parrott with them. And I think their new engine deal with Ford, which will give them a better better power plants on a more regular basis. I think Front Row Motorsports is one of those teams that's trying to do like Furniture Road did. They're building it from the ground up, and they're being patient about it, and they're doing it the right way. Yeah, I agree. And they're trying to make their own uh, their own chassis. You know, it sounds also like they're going to get their play cars from Rash Fenway as well, which isn't a bad thing because Rash Fenway's got pretty good play cars, as we've seen Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Last team, real quick, solo car operation, go fast racing, Matt Benedetto. Di Benedetto will be back there next season. Um, listen, this team, and I'm going to give them a C, but let me tell you something. This is, if, you know, you talk about, you know, we have in baseball a most improved player, most improved student in school, this is the most improved team by far. I mean, um, last year this team was, you know, a constantly back in the, in the, you know, 35th, 34th place spot running. This year they, you know, got some chassis from Richard Petty Motorsports, brought in Gene Mead from BK Racing and Matt Benedetto, and the team really had a pretty good year. Uh, they, they improved, you know, their average, uh, you know, they are right around 25th all year long. They just have visibly have a lot more speed. Uh, I think Di Benedetto is a good driver. I think Gene needs a great crew chief. Um, I think the team really, really improved, um, and it was a it was a solid year for go fast racing again. And one of those teams like Fremont Motorsports where they're still building, so you don't expect a ton a ton from them. Uh, but a a solid year for go fast racing as far as where they were last year, no doubt about it. I think go fast racing the first time since they've been in the sport, they had some sort of consistency. They had the same driver, same crew chief all season long. And in the past, it was like, okay, whoever can bring something to put on the hood, we're going to put you in that race. And with Matt Benedetto and G. Need working together all season long, you saw improvement from the Daytona 500 to Homestead. And I think they're going to get better next year. Agreed. Other teams that um, that – ran this season. We'll get we'll put them on our, everything on our Facebook page, but you know, Premium Motorsports, TriStar, uh, MBM Motorsports as well, Rick Ware, we'll have them on our Facebook page. Uh, just you know, the, the problem with those teams were, you know, TriStar, they, they had different manufacturers. We didn't really know where to put them in there this year. Uh, same thing with Premium. Uh, they had a bunch of different drivers in those cars as well, so we'll get them on our Facebook page at the end of the show. Uh, 917-889-8280, we want to join the show here. A little bit left you know, I want to talk about Bud Moore here, John. 
Uh, but Moore lost it, you know, lost his life Monday night. Uh, 92 years old, for NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee in 2011, former car owner, 63 career wins as a car owner. Uh, his last one came with Jeff O'Dine at Sonoma in 1993. Uh, had 958 races. Um, you know, ran until about 98. Sold the team with his name on it until 2000. But he ran about 98. Uh, Joe Weatherly won back-to-back championships running for Bud Moore. You know, Bud Moore goes back to the old, old days of NASCAR. Uh, one of the true pioneers of this sport. Helped build it to where it is today. Uh, you know, had great drivers. Buddy Baker drive for him. Uh, you know, had Bobby Allison drive for him. Had Dale Earnhardt drive for him. Ricky Rudd. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And he passed away this week at 92 years old. Uh, World War II veteran, John. Just a... An, outstanding car guy. You know, Jimmy Means was on uh, Series 6 and NASCAR Radio yesterday said, you know, he's a very hands-on owner, one of the last true pioneers of this sport, uh, and he passes away in 92. Um, you know, just a sad day in the NASCAR world, talking about Bud Moore, John. Well, here's the thing I take away most about Bud Moore. Thank you for being in the sport, but more than anything, thank you for your service to our nation. Bud Moore earned five purple, was awarded five Purple Hearts. Got three bronze stars. He was at D-Day, the Battle of the Bulge, and the Battle of Bastogne. And he was able to come home and build what he did. I don't know how many people survived D-Day, the Battle of the Bulge, and the Battle of Bastogne. Just surviving those three battles, three of the most crucial battles in World War II, to survive those three and live let alone create what he created and become a Hall of Famer and win the Daytona 500 with Bobby Allison and have Dale Earnhardt drive for you and win as many races as he did. That man is an American hero. Nothing about he, nothing he did on the track when cars would go around in circles and turn left or how he um, made his Fords go faster than many of the other ones and how many poles he won or how many races he won it all is minuscule in comparison to the fact that he earned five Purple Hearts. That means he was shot five different times and kept going. Three Bronze Stars, which is one of the top awards you can get it for your service. And was it D-Day, the Battle of the Bulge, and the Battle of Bastogne? You, you don't get many Americans like that. I mean, he's a POW who was shot down on his plane. Um, they look at him as an American hero, which he is. But what Bud Moore did while serving is just something you can't compare to. That man was an American hero. Whether he, whether he even owned a car, he was a Hall of Famer in my book when it comes to life. I can't agree more. You know, I echo everything you just said, John. That was... Uh, it, I can't agree more. You know, the guy just, you know, they call him, you know, the, the, the greatest generation, uh, his era of people, and, and you can't agree with that more. I mean, um, what they did, had to deal with, a horrible war, um, and, you know, like you said, five Purple Hearts, that, and that is something, you know, I never had the courage to do that and, and to go out there and, and do what he did and, and uh, survive and, and just persevere through it all. It's really, really remarkable, and we're going to miss him. Uh, you know, we miss him at the track on Sundays anyway. And, and one of the things, and you talk about, you know, what he did absolutely 
proceeds racing, it, it, it completely, you know, subsides everything he did on the racetrack. And one of the things I found amazing about him, when they did his Hall of Fame piece, he came out and he said, listen, if I had the money, I'd still be at the racetrack. And I thought that was amazing because you'd think after all the years, 50, 60 years of running, you'd go, you know what, and the sport passed by, and he left in kind of a, a sour way. You'd sit there and you'd go, maybe he's had enough. And he didn't have enough at all. And, and that just shows you how much love of racing he really had. And I always admire people who loved racing. Um, so I, it was just a really tough day uh, the other day. When I heard about that, I was like, oh, man, that was a, it was just a sad day, no doubt about it. You don't get many people like Bud Moore these days. Um, right. I've been lucky enough to meet Ryan Pitts, who was awarded the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor for the bravery he showed in Afghanistan. And just to be in his presence was something to behold. I could only imagine what it would have been like to be around Bud Moore and hear him talk about his life. And one of the things you get from a lot of the veterans of that great generation that was the World War II generation that transformed our nation as we know it, they didn't like talking about it. Because when someone raises their right hand and swears to protect and defend the Constitution, they're part of a team that's bigger than themselves. And whenever I was serving, a lot of times, whenever I, especially when I came back from Desert Storm, you hear people come up to you and say, thank you for your service. And, I mean, it feels good to hear that, but I'm doing my job. And Bud Moore would probably be the first person to say, yeah, you, you think I'm an American hero, which I do. But he's going to say, I just did my job. I did what I needed to do, and I was able to come home. And that's the amazing part of that generation, because they just went and did things. They made our country better. They made our sport better. They made what we do better. And they allowed us to have the freedom that we have and enjoy the fact that we get to bitch and moan and complain that Brian Francis keeping too much money in Daytona Beach. Or we get to bitch and moan and complain that Matt Kenseth doesn't have a ride. We wouldn't right. be able to do that without people like Bud Moore. No, I, you, I can't agree more. And that's that's the ultimate. Uh, you know, when when he passed, that's the ultimate thing he'll be remembered for. No doubt about it. It's his Purple Hearts and what he did for this country and what he did for our freedom. No doubt about it. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero. Another thing we're going to talk about and complain about is. This whole situation between BK Racing and Front Row Motorsports. Um, if you missed it, Bob Pockers broke it a couple of nights ago. Um, a lawsuit was filed earlier this month, and it could play a role in the Daytona 500. Union Bank and Trust in Virginia uh, is asking the court to declare if it has rights to what is what was originally known as BK Racing's number 83 charter. Uh, saying that BK Racing owns $9.1 million on a loan that included its two charters as collateral. Uh, Front Row Motorsports bought the number 83 charter for $2 million before the season. They leased it to TriStar Motorsports in the 72 car with Cole Witt for the 2017 season. Um, and, teams go, and, and so Front Row Motorsports has possession of that charter since they bought it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Now, Ron Devine is saying they want to make a big stink um, you know, we have an we have an agreement in place with them. This is a non issue. Um 
but the sanctioning body had no comment. What's interesting is, you know, how, what this might do for front row motorsports. You know, they have three charters. They're not going to run three teams next year. Uh, it, you know, you, you could assume that they would either sell the char- one of the charters or lease another one, one of the other two they didn't lease last season, um, and run with two teams this year with two charters. Uh, but this kind of puts them in a little bit of a, a limbo here as far as it goes with their charter, and we'll see how this is ruled. I mean, you know, Ron Devine, um, again, he's saying, listen, everything's uh, in order. It's kind of a non-issue, um, but this is a big deal here. Front Row Motorsports loses their charter, um, and, you know, all of a sudden the bank owns a charter here. As we get ready to go to Daytona, it'd be interesting to see how NASCAR rules it. Devine's last comments were, it's not that big of a deal. They're not going racing in Daytona if you really believe that this bank is going to get these charters and the Martians are going to land in your front yard, end quote. Um, what are your thoughts here, John? Ron Devine needs to go away. NASCAR just needs to throw his ass out of the sport right now. Here's the thing. He sold a charter. Now, if that was collateral for something else, his lawyers need to go to jail for allowing that sale. Um, Front Row Motorsports didn't do anything wrong. It's not like Front Row Motorsports is going up to Ron Devine saying, oh, by the way, is this uh, charter up as collateral for anything? No. Ron Devine should use the money that he got for selling the charter to Front Row Motorsports to pay off the damn bank. I mean, this guy just has scum written all over him. When they started the season last year, you remember, his team was padlocked out of their own shop because of supposedly an accounting error. And then you saw the story in the middle of the season where Greg Galding and Ron Devine were in a pissing contest about who gets paid what and all this good stuff and how much Ron Devine was actually charging Greg Galding to be in the car. And now yeah. you've got this where he sold a charter that's up as collateral for a loan that he supposedly can't pay. So I just think NASCAR needs to throw his ass out of the sport. He's done nothing to bring a black eye to the sport. Yeah, and and there's multiple, like we talked about earlier, you know, uh, there's multiple instances where we look at it and you go, eee, you know, not not great. If this is one or two things, you go, okay, you know, stuff happens. Um, But this is about four or five things now where, you know, it comes up where BK Racing is either, uh, you know, kind of having shitty business deals or having financial issues. Um, so, you know, not good, obviously. And, and it just, again, it, what bothers me is the biggest problem with me is it's not Ron Devine. It just puts these guys who are on these race teams, on this race team, you know, from everybody that works from the team on down, who's got nothing to do with the ownership side, with the financing side of this, of this team, it drags their names through the mud. Because when you say I'm part of BK racing, you know, it just, it makes them look bad. And, and you know, some of these guys have no other alternatives. You know, for example, Corey LaJoy, he ran a JGL this year, had a good in the Xfinity Series, but they're not a, a, a team that is going to win on a week, weekly basis in the Xfinity Series. Um, so it, it's hard. You know, he's got to do whatever, take whatever he can get. Um, so, you know, his name's being sort of dragged through mud here when he says, I'm part of BK Racing, and they go, BK Racing. You know, so that's the sad part for me is that these guys have nothing to do with it. Uh, and our true racers and just want to race and just want to come to the racetrack are getting dragged through the mud by an owner who, um, you know, can't pay his bills. Yeah, it's 
I don't think a lot of people, if they put on their resume, they worked at BK Racing, especially in the sport, are going to throw, well, that, that guy's a dirt ball like Ron Devine. No, there's people who are just trying to be in the sport, and if that's a place they can get to, that's where they'll go. Um, but their performance will end up getting them to the next level when it comes to crew guys or and or chassis guys or different things like that. I just think that Ron Devine is an embarrassment to the sport. And we've had a few over the years. We had George Gillette. We've had Bobby Ginn. We had Tim Beverly, um, who partnered with David Stremme with the uh, – they were creating that 44 team, the Swan Racing guys. I mean, they all have come in and flamed out and gone away. It's time for Ron Devine to come in, flame out, and go away. And it can't happen fast enough. Brandon Davis was the guy you're thinking about from Swan Racing. He also had Jonathan Cohen, who had the whole deal with the 44 car, um, with stealing the car, and, and that team ran, and then it, that was kind of a uh, craziness, too. So we've had a couple of teams here recently. And then this sport, Angela Motorsports was a team uh, years ago who uh, had a lot of crazy stuff go on there. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's just part of NASCAR, and it's a shame. Hopefully, um, listen, I just hope, you know, Ron Devine, this is what I, this is what I said to uh, a person I talked to. Here's what I hope is happening with Ron Devine. I just hope that financially it's it's too big of a burden for him where he sits there and says, listen, I've totally underestimated what this was going to cost, how much it's going to take to run two teams, and all that. I hope it's not a, a, a situation where he's out there and just saying, I don't really care about paying my bills. I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to do what I can to pay as least as possible, and that's the way it's going to be. I hope it's the first thing I said where he just is, you know, he just can't take the financial burden anymore. Um, I feel sympathy for the guy, but I'd have none if it was the fact that, you know, he he's just refuses to pay his bills. So um, it's an interesting situation, something we're going to keep an eye on, especially the fact that the charter situation here as we get ready closer to Daytona, it puts, like I said, Charter Motorsports in an interesting spot because what's going to happen to that charter? You know, you could get into – if this isn't resolved by – Daytona, you know, there could be a team running out there with a charter that they might not have by the time uh, May comes around or, or, you know, whenever this trial is heard. So uh, kind of nuts when you think about it. And uh, you know, hopefully it's, it's everything's died down by Daytona and everything's good. Uh, but a really, really interesting situation out of VK Racing. Um, final thoughts, this, John, on anything we talked about this week, um, you know, and, and uh, everything over there at Pensacola, Florida, and, and the Snowball Derby we talked about Weaver earlier. What are your final thoughts? Um, I think the Snowball Derby is, to me, it's the late model version of the Knoxville Nationals or the old prelude to the dream or the truck race at Eldora. I think it's just a special weekend. Um, one of the things that we didn't touch on this weekend that I really was impressed with was Martin Truex Jr. and Sherry Pollux winning the, uh, the um, award for contribution to the sport. The, from the National Motorsports Press Association. Um, just for the season that they had, uh, the struggle that Sherry's gone through over the past few years, I think that was a big day. Um, I think it's really cool that Regan Smith's going to be on pit road for Fox this year. Um, I'm sad that we lost Bud Moore. I mean, you think about it, two of the best Ford guys we've had in the history of the sport 
Robert Yates and Bud Moore both lost this year. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, and, and you know, two great owners, two Hall of Famers, and, and rightfully so, uh, passing um, that. And, and within a month and a half, you know, just a, a real sad day, no doubt, no doubt about it. Uh, earlier this week, with Bud Moore passing, I want to thank Matt Weaver for joining the show. I'm excited for a snowball derby. Uh, we got some exciting stuff coming up in Talking Circles. We'll put that on our Facebook page and our Twitter page. So stay tuned for that. Uh, if you like what you heard and you don't follow us on Twitter or Facebook, give us a like. You know, it always help us, uh, you know, get more recognition for this show. Um, John Hollow, great job tonight as always, and we'll see you next week on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.